Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Amen, amen. All right, we're going verse by verse through Romans. We're in verse number five. We'll start there, Romans 6, verse number five. The Bible says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, it's kind of great to think about you got a bunch of plants and they're all planted together in the same soil as the Lord. That's great to think about. Uh, It's great to think about it as we've got the same nature as the Lord and Oh, wow, we're sharing the same ground. You ever think about that? You're walking on the ground that the Lord created, and we're walking on the ground that he walked. I mean, not the perfect exact steps, but you, you see where I'm, I'm going to. Those things are great to think about, but this picture here, for we have been planted together, the picture is much, much greater than just those thoughts that we talked about. I'd like to take a look at that in John 15. It'll be our first spot. Look what it says. The Bible says in John 15, verse number one, I am the true vine and my father is the husband. You've got one plan and Christ is that true vine. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. It may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. Except the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. Who's the vine? That be Christ. Where do we need to abide? In him. No more can ye except ye abide in me. He said, I am the branch vine. That's Jesus Christ, by way of saying it a third time, he is the vine. Ye are the what? Branches. We. If you're a believer in Christ and you've trusted him, that we is you. He's the vine. We are the branches. How do we become branches as part of that vine? Well, we are grafted in by believing. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you have been grafted in by believing. You are not just among the ground that he walked. You are not just in the dirt where he was planted. You are in him. Now that's something to be happy about today. You are in him. Now look at Isaiah 53. Beautiful passage, chapter of Scripture. We're going to, we're going to park on verse number two. Watch what it says, Isaiah 53, verse number two. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root. That's Jesus Christ. He is the root. Out of a dry ground. How can he be a tender plant? He came down to earth, right? Did he humble himself? Yes, he did. 
root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty we should desire. You know why he did all that? He suffered death. He suffered death so that you and I can be planted with him in the same ground and in the same grave. Spiritually speaking, planted with him. If ladies or gentlemen, if you plant a garden, you know that you put the seed in the ground. And if you're like me, you just don't believe it's going to work. <laughs> I can't believe that we've got radishes and leaf lettuce and broccoli is out in our, and, and carrots are, are coming up. I can't believe it. But you put that seed in the ground and you look at it and you say to yourself, no, there's no way this can work. Because you don't see any budding. You don't see any fruit out of that. All you did was put some seed and you covered a little bit of dirt and you watered and walked away. Has anyone ever, I mean, I guess if you farm for quite a bit of years and you're a professional, it's like, well, why don't you believe that? Because you don't see it. That's what an amateur does. An amateur farmer like me goes out, puts the seed in the ground, and I doubt because I can't see the fruit. But we can all agree that we know we won't get anything to come out of that ground unless what? The seed goes into the ground. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto Accept a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. And it did. It abided alone. But if it died and it did, what happens? It bringeth forth much fruit. He came down. He died. Much fruit was brought forth. And it's this likeness. So back to Romans 6, to continue this thought, it says in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we are planted, in other words, in union with Jesus Christ. And when we look out now, we see the trees with those branches. It's the, There's nothing on the branches. I mean, you can look out and say, well, they're just dead trees. They're not dead trees. You look out, it's, but it's the same branches when you see in the springtime and I see in the summertime. And the, and the leaves are beautiful. They're abundant. They're budding. They're there. It's the same branches. Nothing has changed except what? Fruit has been brought forth. What does God want us from our life, from our Christian life? Fruit to be produced. How will it be produced? If we are in him. He will produce the fruit. We are grafted in by believing. I can preach to you all day about growing in grace. And someone can come up to me after the church service and say, you know, preacher, thanks for that message. I've been trying to grow in grace and I, and, and, and I just can't. I just can't. Do you know what I should say to him? So I want you to look out there. You see that tree? Yeah, I see that tree. Okay. How'd that tree get there? Well, somebody planted. Yeah, somebody planted. You know what you've got to do? Before you're a tree that bears fruit, you've got to be planted. Because until you're planted, you can try to grow in grace all you want. 
If you don't abide in him, it's for naught. For the tree bears fruit, had to have been planted. And that's what Romans verse 5 is trying to teach us. Planted together in the likeness of his death. You must be rooted in Christ. You must be grounded in Christ. You must be planted in Christ before any fruit buds and comes forth. That's verse number five. Verse number six. Watch what it says in Romans six, verse six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now it says, knowing this, that our old man. Everybody knows that older men have more experience. Their life experience gives them more wisdom. They are more subtle than they are aggressive. My father is more subtle man than he was when he was raised me. He had to be more aggressive, okay? There's, there's some changes that take place as you get older. But there's also a danger because we look at the old man and we compare it with the new man and we always say, well, the old man's bad. We don't want that. We've got to be careful because the older we get, the wiser we get, the more skillful we can get even in deception. We can bring many excuses for our sins. We can bring forth many excuses for our Adamic nature. It's also called, in the Bible, it's also the wise old serpent. We've got to be careful of those things. You've been born again. I've been born again. We're basically two men. We're two women. We are what we we are what we were, and then we are not what we were, <laughs> because our flesh is still what we were, but our soul isn't what we were. It's two and one. It's it's hard, and this is why Paul cries out, "Oh wretched man that I am," because we're all schizos. We're all schizophrenics in many ways. We, we got one and we got the other. We're a new creature. But this old nature is still clinging to us. Next time someone says, hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> this is what's wrong with me. This flesh. It's that old man. I like to look at Genesis 3 as well. Go back there. I like to look at a principle in the Bible. That we all know, but I think it'd be a good review to look at this in Genesis 3. Um, look at verse number 4. Genesis 3, verse 4. The Bible says, and the serpent said unto the man. No, the serpent said unto the woman. You know who you, Do you know who the devil attacks? The weaker side first. He didn't go after the man. He went after the woman. The wisest thing, ladies, for you, the, the wisest thing for you, the safest place for you to be is at the side of your husband, not the other way around. That's what this culture teaches. 
Ladies, young ladies, you're growing up, you're looking for a mate. Not now, but someday you will. You'll have those eyeballs and those googly eyes. And yeah, I, I know right now you think they have cooties and they're all, yeah. That's going to change someday. That's going to change someday. You are going to want a young man who is strong enough spiritually to make sure that he's at your side protecting. Because if not, you'll deceive him. And then by default, when you have a family, your whole family will be deceived. Because we have women leading their husbands around, making them think like they're the head of the home. But they're not. (laughs) That is not Christian. That is not biblical. And we see the picture so clearly in Genesis chapter 3. Now, it's often been said, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. We can all laugh about that. What am I saying? What am I saying? Eve got away from the side of her husband. Here comes the serpent. Ladies, expect that to happen. Expect that to happen. It's a principle here. I'd like you to get a hold of. So, uh, it, and the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. And so, okay, so we get that. Now watch what happens. You go down. Next verse, for God doth know that in the day ye thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, little g, knowing good and evil. Look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now a lot happened there. Before the husband ate, before it was offered to her husband, why are you looking at that tree? Why are you gazing upon stuff you shouldn't be gazing upon? Ladies, be careful. Why are you reading what you shouldn't be reading? Why are your eyes gazing and scrolling and getting so knee deep in the internet? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You know what's going to happen? You're going to get deceived. You're going to get deceived. Are you saying men can't get deceived? No, I'm not. What I'm saying here is the principle is women are more easily deceived. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be chauvinistic. I'm not trying to, you know, they'll call, they'll say, you preach like this. They'll say you have toxic masculinity. I'm not trying to have any of that. All I'm simply saying is that the Bible teaches that women are more easily deceived. It doesn't say that men aren't because Adam did the same Stupid thing. He's as blockheaded as he could have been. Just men, just like we are at times. That's the only principle. They're more easily deceived. But watch what else. We read it, but let's look at it in the middle of the verse. Watch what it says. In a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, ladies, that'll really engage the senses, and that'll really stir up the emotion. Ooh, I can have this. It was the desire of longing for more wisdom, more information, more knowledge. 
was a tree. You're looking at a tree. There's nothing there. It's a tree. You know what? She didn't want the tree. She wanted wisdom. That was the desire. Be careful of what you're looking. She believed what she heard. Let me say this. Everything sounds good. You can take something false and spin it in such a way and pack the verses in such a way and cherry pick verses here and there. You can put it all together and it can sound right. It might read right. And it's about as wrong as it can be. Because there's a desire of, oh, I've got knowledge. I've got some information you don't have. There's a desire there. And we all have to be careful for this. Myself included, because as a preacher of the word of God, I don't want to handle the word of God lightly. And also when you preach against stuff, there's a, there's a danger in falling off the cliff and being against everything. Just for the sake of saying, well, you're for that, well, I'm not. Oh, you do that? Well, we don't. There's a danger there. Because on one hand, we don't want to get involved with things that are wrong. We don't want to read or believe or fall into traps where it's wrong. We don't want that. None of us do. And when that desire for more knowledge and for, for wisdom becomes so strong, we can, we can be deceived. Because we think our motives are right. And when we make our conclusion, we're so far off the way. We've got to be careful of those things, all of us. But her mind wandered. Last thing I'll say about the old man. Revelation 12, it says, And the great dragon was cast out. You know what he was called? That old serpent. That old serpent. Called the devil and Satan. Which did what? Deceiveth the whole world. Deceiveth the whole world. That's what that old serpent wants to do. Just Go back to Romans 6. There are two more verses we're going to look at. Romans chapter number six. We'll be in verse number seven. Romans chapter six, verse number seven. The Bible says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. It's not hard for us to realize that we, it's not hard for us to come to this knowledge of wisdom. We are all sinful. Can't get away from it. And when it says, for he that is dead is freed from sin, if we're not careful, this idea of us very clearly acknowledging and knowing that we are all sinful Yes, because we are. It's not like we're saying something wrong. We can easily park on that verse, which will rob us from living a life triumphant in Christ right now on the earth as we live for him. Because all we'll just keep telling ourselves is, well, we're sinful, we're sinful, we're sinful. We are. We have this old flesh and it's the old man and it clings to us and we can't get rid of it. And we do. We say true things. And if we keep replaying that video in our mind or that audio in our ears, all of a sudden we'll just get into this mode of we just can't live a victorious triumphant life in Christ 
and live a life of Yet, Romans 6 and 7 and, and 8 is going to tell us, no, you can live a victorious life with Christ. We have to be careful what we tell ourselves. You do not, I do not gradually become a child of God. Young people, pay attention. Praise the Lord, your parents are Christians. Praise the Lord that they read the Bible to you. Praise the Lord that they bring you to church. Thank God for it. You can do that for 18 years. That doesn't, you're not going to gradually become a Christian. It don't work like that. Your parents, hopefully, Lord willing, are doing what the Lord would have them to do. They are obeying what God has asked them to do. And so their conscience is clear before God. They're obeying God. But you've got to come to a point where you trust Christ as your Savior. There's no such thing as progressive salvation. Certain groups like the Amish believe that there's a there's this idea of living a life a certain way and then progressively you will be saved. There's no progressive salvation. You don't all of a sudden become worthy of heaven because you're on your deathbed. Well, that's a sad sight. Someone is weak. And so you think to yourself, well, yeah, I can't sin now. I mean, I can't go out and <laughs> do what I would have done if I wasn't. So it's not like you now have progressed to the point where you're just so weak and feeble. And now you're on your deathbed and you just can't go out and sin. That now somehow you're going to get into heaven. All of that is completely false. You must. Come to a moment in time where you repent and trust Christ wholly and fully for the salvation of your soul. Not about your parents' soul. Not about your friend's soul. Not about your preacher's soul. Not about your Sunday school teacher's soul. About your soul. Young people, love to have you. Want to have you more. Want to have we want to help you create fun memories here at the church house. But none of that will do anything for your soul. It can stir your emotions. It can get you involved in the right things and not the wrong things. But you can be involved in all of the right things until you're 18 and be lost and on your way to hell. Because being involved in the right things and staying away from the wrong things cannot, will not, ever save you we all need to be careful about being so right that we're prideful well boss god i don't do what brother so-and-so does <laughs> well whip-de-doo if you're so spiritual how come you don't take brother so-and-so out and tell him about jesus christ just when we think like that we're really not that spiritual we don't really care for the loss like we think we should. We'd rather just be, like we had said in earlier sermons, just one notch ahead of whoever the other guy is. It's not Christian. It's not a Christian attitude. Okay, look at verse 7. Got off a little side trail. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That means you're justified from the guilt of your sins and you're justified from sin itself. You, 
The body that you live in, it's an unredeemed body. The flesh that's clinging to you, it is not a glorified body. Now live for Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our Lord. Because it says, for he that is dead, who died with Christ, is freed from sin. We were talking about some of this the other night. Do you hate the things that God hates? Do you love the things that God loves? We want to teach our young boys, hey, don't look at that. That's naughty. So the young boy sees it and then he, he looks away because his parents told him not to look at that. But you know what longs to look? You know what his heart longs for? To look at it. Because he loves it in his heart. It's sin. You hear something filthy, and when you look at something awful, and your mind is filled with a wicked thought, do you hate it? Does it disgust you? That's the point we need to get to. You can play wicked music in the church house. And you can put it through my ears. You know what it would do to me? It would disgust me. I would utterly abhor it. Well, we just need to get that out of here. Why? Everybody loves it. There's a difference between getting rid of it and still loving it and having it sit right in front of you and hate it. Now, let me qualify that by saying, I'm not saying in any way, you don't put a white belt into the ring with a black belt. We all need to know our weaknesses, especially if you struggle with something, especially if you're fearful of something, especially if something has hurt you in a negative way in the past. You stay away from it. You don't test God and say, well, let's see if I can. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to draw out, the point I'm trying to draw out is we should abhor and hate the things that God hates. And that's where we should be with sin. Now, I have allergies. I don't know if any of you have allergies. But my daughter, we have the same allergies. If we were to get around cats and dogs, it just, just the smell of it disgusts us. We know it's coming. It's just. You ever been sick and someone tries to serve you a meal and you're just like, I just get it away. <laughs> when sin is in front of you, you have that same thing. Food so awful, just take it away. That allergen, oh, I just, I don't even want to be in a house with someone with an animal. Just get it away. I'm so allergic. When sin is presented audibly, visually, or emotionally to you, do you respond in like manner? For he that is dead is free from sin. Nothing like getting a taste of living water. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing like a meal that so satisfies. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
And the sin in your flesh should remind you and remind me that someday we are going to get a glorified body, a redeemed body, and praise the Lord for us. It should remind us of that. And I'm telling you, the apostles, all the first century Christians, they never strayed from the simple facts of Christ. His sinless life, his death on the cross, his burial, three days and three nights, his resurrection, his ascension, and his seat in an exalted manner at the right hand of the Father, and his second coming. And all of that were the simple basics that they stuck to. They didn't get strapped down with novelty doctrines that just bring people astray. They preached what was most important, and they did not stray from that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what that means? He hates sin. He died for sin. And you can be freed from sin. One more verse, and we're done. Verse 8. Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Well, that just means someday we're going to go live with him. And yeah, Okay, we are. We're going to be receiving a glorified body. We are. Dead with Christ, you can also live with him. That means now. <laughs> you can live with him now. Now, I told you before, uh, some of you may be hard to believe, but yes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a retired martial art competitor, instructor, and all that, okay? And part of training is you learn some weapon defense, how to disarm someone with a knife, unless you run into someone that knows how to knife fight. And I have some acquaintances that are extremely skillful in the art of knife fighting. I am not, but they are. They're so skillful, they can cut you three times before you can react. You end up getting cut with a knife from here to here. I'd rather get shot in the shoulder, one hole going through, and it's a dangerous thing. But that knife fighter is holding that knife in his hand. If he opens its hand, if he opens his hand, the weight of that knife and the gravitational pull will take that knife and it will slam it right to the ground. But if he doesn't open his hand and he holds it and he lifts the knife up, it goes up. And if he brings the knife down, it goes down. And if he makes a cut like this to the left where it goes like this to the right, all of a sudden the knife is moving. Why? Because it is held 
in the fighter's hand. Are you in Christ? If he were to open his hand, the only thing that you would do is fall. If you are out of his hand, the only thing you would do would drop into hell. But if you've trusted him, if you put your faith in him, you are in him. You are grafted in him. And you know why you can live for him now? Because you are in his hand. If he lifts you up, you go up. If he wants you to go down here, you're going to go down here. He swings you this way, you're going to go this way. He brings you this way, you're going to go this way. Why? Because he's got you held in the palm of his hand. And no man is going to pluck you out. And just like that knife fight. As soon as he lets go, that's it. It's dead weight. We're not in Christ. All we are is dead weight. All we're going to do is just fall flat on the face. Praise God. We have. Flesh is always prone to sin. But the believer, that new man, is always prone to obey God. If you're a believer, you live with Christ. I won't ask you to turn here for the sake of time, but 2 Corinthians 5 says this, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Legally, we are absolved from the death sentence because of Christ's death sentence. And we should live, he tells us, we, we don't live unto ourselves. Galatians 2.20, you don't have to turn there, but it's, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Spiritually, our nature is new. It's his nature. You can't. It's impossible for you if you're saved. You, you can't. Have Christ living in you and be utterly miserable. It's impossible. He lives in you. What else do you want? How else are you going to deal with all the stuff that comes against your flesh? You're not. I'm not. Last verse, Psalm 21, it talks about for his glory, his great and thy salvation, honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him, for thou hast made him most blessed forever. Here it is, thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. You live with Christ. The old time shopkeepers, what was real big back in the old time days is they'd have all of their goods in the window. They were poor. They didn't have the money to stock shelves. So they put everything that they had in the shop window and it was displayed. You know what we've got today? American evangelicalism. We got a lot of shelves stocked with stuff. But there ain't nothing in the window. 
You know what God wants? A cheerful countenance because we can live for him. We live with Christ. We need to dress a window up a little bit. Let people, you know, if, what did I just communicate? <laughs> yeah. your, your facial expression says it all. You know, the waiter comes, you go and get lunch today, and they bring out the food, and you look at it, and you're like, your face tells that waiter, look, I don't like what you got. You're living, Christ lives in you. You've been saved, you've been redeemed, you've been grafted in by believing, show it. <clears throat> if you deprive a flower long enough of sun, that thing's going to wither away and die, it's going to lose its color. Some of us need to kind of bask in the rays of the Son of God. It's some cheerfulness. We live with Christ. Dead to sin, live with Christ. All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.